0: Hello, and welcome back to The Huddle. Liam Santa Maria here, coming to you from my place in health and safety protocols. It's been a little while since the last episode of The Huddle, my chat with Jack Jumpers coach Scott Roth, because it's been a bit of a rough ride for me over the past few weeks. First, a non-COVID illness knocked me out for nearly a week, and uh, then we've had some COVID spreading within our family. Uh, and this week, I'm one of those to have returned a positive result. Um, Thankfully, I'm triple vaxxed. Uh, I'm uh, only experiencing minor symptoms and um, I I had to be on deck for this episode because while the entire NBL is in the midst of celebrating Indigenous culture right now as part of the fabulous Indigenous rounds, uh, I'm recording this on Monday the 7th of March, which is on the eve of International Women's Day, a global day celebrating the social economic cultural and political achievements of women it's also a day each year that marks a call to action for accelerating women's equality and so to help me mark the occasion I've got Fleur McIntyre joining me on the pod Sydney Kings assistant coach and the fifth female to coach in the NBL over the course of its history the Kings are flying and Fleur is a big part of all of that so sit back relax up next Fleur McIntyre Hello. thanks heaps for, for joining me on The Huddle. How are you going?
1: I'm really excited to be here, Liam. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Oh, no, no, you're welcome. Um, how's life on a six-game winning streak?
1: Yeah, look, it's certainly better than when, you know, we had some struggles earlier in the year. So nice to be able to string some wins together. Certainly our offense is looking a lot better in our fourth quarters, which was an area of growth for us. So, yeah, really pleased with how things are traveling. And we know we've got a big month coming up on the road where, you know, we need to continue to push for that final four spot. Uh,
0: The NBL um, fan community um, and the media, of which I'm now a part, love to ride the highs and the lows you know like we really sink the boots in when teams are struggling um but when you piece a few wins together it's it's a big jump on the bandwagon how what's the task right now for you guys to kind of keep a lid on things while everyone's talking about the hottest team in the league nobody can stop the sydney kings
1: yeah it's interesting how quickly it flips when (laughs) earlier in the year we were capitulating in fourth quarters and doing some soul searching and trying to figure things out but i think even when that was happening we all had we always had a really strong belief that our core group and our group of guys were a good, good basketball team. And it was just going to take a little bit of time together, obviously guys returning from injury, figuring things out. And so we were always really positive about what was happening apart from those lapses that we were we were having. Um, I think for us, I mean, it's the oldest cliche in sport, right? One game at a time, one quarter at a time. And I think for us, that's, that continues to be our focus. Certainly our offense has been a lot stronger. Um, we probably haven't been defending the the way that we would like to defend and the way that we were defending um, earlier in the year, that was sort of what was keeping us in games. We've sort of gone away from that a little bit. So we'll look to clean that up. And we talk about all the time, you know, the processes approach and controlling things, you know, that are in our control and what we can influence. So the outcomes they'll take care of themselves. So we'll try and stay true to who we are um, as a Sydney Kings basketball team and where we want to go.
0: Um. That said, despite that kind of optimistic outlook, we have seen over the course of NBL history, especially in recent years, good teams, really good teams who could potentially be championship winning level teams miss the finals because things just, for whatever reason, just didn't go right for that squad that year. Last year, Sydney Kings team are a pretty good example. 19 and 17, despite a whole bunch of injuries over the course of the season, so take me back to when you guys were three and six, you'd lost that game against Brisbane in Brisbane. Xavier cooks had been ejected earlier in that one. I think that result had meant four straight and watching the, the, the Kings documentary, which is a fascinating watch this season, building the kingdom uh, that, that took us into the locker room after that game and chase talking to the squad and, and, it was a real roller coaster ride of emotions for him. Even in that moment, it was the, the lows of we can't keep giving up these leads. Our season is on the brink to the highs of we know we're a much better team than this and the optimism that you were just talking about. Um, that was a point in the year where it really could have just gone either way. You came back to, to, to Sydney and won that next game against Brisbane and really haven't looked back hardly Since then, but at at that particular moment, when you went back to your hotel room in Brisbane, or you met together as a coaching staff, how low was that low?
1: Yeah, look, it was pretty low. Um, You know, you walk in that Brisbane game was heartbreaking. Um, I Mm. think you know, obviously Zave getting ejected in the second quarter ended up really hurting us down the stretch. And it's one of those things where the tidal wave just keeps coming. You see it coming and they start running over the top of you and you're trying to use every single tool that you've got at your disposal to drag guys out of this where we are. So I think there was certainly some soul searching and it was a very despondent locker room, as you probably Mm. saw in in the documentary. Um, And our leaders spoke up, um, you know, for a guy that someone like Jarrell Martin. So if you know Jarrell, Jarrell's a very quiet guy. He's obviously one of the sweetest human beings you'll ever meet in your entire life. And, and he was actually pretty vocal as well after that game and just said, this cannot keep happening. We have to address this as a playing group and we spoke about that when things go wrong what were the things that were going wrong and you know I, I've sort of spoken to the group that I felt like we were really reactive at times when we didn't get a call or we didn't make a shot and then that was compounded in the very next play and falling apart defensively because we were too busy sitting on the previous play lamenting what was going on so um, you know we were pretty vocal about where we needed to grow as a young group and as a collective and I think the guy's... Guys have done a really, really good job in addressing that in those moments and thinking about, well, what's the next play? You know, we have to be able to still be able to defend and make sure that our mindset is in the stuff that we can control rather than focusing on the stuff and falling apart and then letting those mistakes keep, you know, compounding. So it was definitely a key moment for us. And thankfully, we were able to come back home the very next next on the Sunday against Brisbane and, and play a really strong game of basketball so I think that's been a catalyst for us and still developing but yeah real positive signs.
0: What did you learn about Chase during that stretch of time?
1: I think that you know for Chase he's such a high energy guy you've probably seen this on the sideline he is um, he finds so much joy in coaching and interacting with the guys. Being on court, we are such an active coaching staff. Um, you know, nothing makes you feel more inept and old watching Daniel Kickett and Kevin Lish run around on court like they could still be playing in the NBL, uh, which <laughs> they
0: could be. I could um, picture it.
1: Yeah. So it's, and it's great for our guys. Cause I think that gets them more juice than anything having a guard kicks and care of half the time. But look, I think for Chase, that's, he's an energetic and he's a passionate person and he feels, he rides the wave with these guys. And, you know, it was a real test for all of us that, you know, could we still find the positives in terms of where we were trying to go while this thing was, I guess, you know, we were just having these lapses it was turning into these, you know, losses, which were, quite disheartening so I think for Chase it was figuring out that okay well I know when things are going downhill for the playing group who am I in those moments as well and I think he's done a really good job particularly over this last month in leading our team in the fourth quarter and you've seen some of our games that we've had we've eked out some wins lately we definitely like to keep things interesting but I think (laughs) that's a credit to Chase you know and I think he's really bestowed upon the the, the group a sense of calm when it's tight you know what are we doing and what are we focusing on in that moment so I think not only a growth moment for the players but for the coaching staff and and Chase as well.
0: You talk about a sense of calm I don't think that there is a more calming thing to look at in the MBL through your TV screen than a picture of Kevin Lish in the background <laughs> on, on that bench. When things are going awry and Chase is losing his biscuits and he's arguing with a ref or something happens right in front of your bench, does anything ever face... Kevin Leash. Not much,
1: not much at all. Um, Kev is very cool, calm, and collected, and I think that that again it's such a nice balance. We talk about you know people bringing different things and different strengths, and that's Kev. Um, nothing phases him. He's never overawed by the moment. He's always willing to have just those calm conversations. And you're spot on. Nothing ever really <laughs> affects Kev at, at any point. I um I laugh a lot because um we've obviously had some games this year, and I remember in the Melbourne, awful Melbourne game, um, yep. as I recall. And we set all these records that we didn't want. Mm. I think I probably swore enough for both of us on the bench <laughs> that day, um, muttering to Kev and all the rest of it. Kev's just calm, cool, you know, it's fine. So um, I think we, you know, I'm really fortunate to work with Kev. He's such a great human being and we have so much fun. So, but yeah, you're right. He definitely brings that nice, calm head to the, the situation.
0: I often wonder when I see him back there, whether he is indeed just like the coolest, calmest, zen guy in the league, or he's just thinking about something else. Like, you know, he's just kind of not not in this moment. He's, he's just incredibly calm. And and I guess I bring him into the conversation because as a lead into asking you kind of what your key roles are within the coaching staff. Because the head coach, of course, everybody has a clear understanding of what, his or her uh, job is within a team, but uh, assistant coaches amongst the staff, the jobs get divided up different scouts for different teams, so on and so forth. What's your role this year with the King?
1: Yeah. So Kevin, and I split the, the lead assistant role, and we're really fortunate in that we've got two other assistants with us as well. Daniel Kickett is part of our coaching group. And so is Lockie Lonegan, who is um, one of our other assistant coaches and all things video and, you know, basically carries the rest of us half the time with our, all those technical things. Um, So very fortunate that there's four of us to be able to balance out the scouts and sort of working off each other. Um, The way it's split is that obviously everyone has their their scout and, you know, in that game, they're on the scout. And the jobs are then divided between the rest of us in terms of who's on scout. Lockie's usually on the live feed at the same time. So he's usually responsible for our challenges. Um, And him and Chase have a pretty good record together this year in terms of coaches challenges so shout out to lock there and obviously chasing him working very closely um and so the rest of us you know i sort of if i'm not on scout and keb's on scout one of us will do rotations timeouts and fouls um rotations are usually determined we have an idea before the game and so we'll chat through i mean that'll change you know during the game if someone's in foul trouble or x getting ejected in the second quarter for example it can all go pear shaped pretty quickly but we sort of take on those responsibilities so that the scout coach and chase can work really closely together on matchups what's going on what sort of our offenses we should be running about how they're guarding our pick and roll and off ball action and then it just takes that other side of things away from chase so he can concentrate on you know actually coaching during the game so the other thing that we do is we have the players are split amongst the assistant coaches so you know, you sit down with your certain players and you work through your film and, you know, cut up every game and just look at different aspects and things that we think they're doing well, things that we think, you know, areas that they can improve on. So that's one of our other responsibilities, as well as doing individual workouts and contributing during team training. Uh,
0: this might be a little tricky to, to answer, I- asking somebody to explain somebody else's description of them is maybe not the right way to go about it. But I texted with Chase in advance of this chat and he described you as the glue that keeps us together. (laughs) Why do you think he said that?
1: Probably because I've said it enough to the group (laughs) that it's finally sticking. Um, Pardon the pun in terms of glue, but maybe, maybe. Um, Look, I... Uh, look, I, I I feel so fortunate that I have ended up at the City Kings. I can't speak for other organisations, but it is so much fun to go to work every day with this coaching staff. Um, the group of guys, they I tell people all the time because obviously, obviously I get questions about what it's like. And mm. I, I just feel very fortunate. They are the greatest bunch of human beings who bring me so much joy mm. every day. And I think hopefully I reflect that in giving back to them as well. So I think part of, you know, my job and what I do well is that I, I think people need to feel valued in what they bring to organisations and not everyone can be the superstar and not everyone's going to be playing minutes all the time. But I think we have a really nice, healthy balance of helping people and developing individuals and where they want to go, but also where they fit within our organisations. So um, that's something I really cher- cherish that I've gotten to form relationships with these guys and understand their stories and be part of their journey this year. So you know, that's that's something that I really find passion in and hopefully that's reflected in, you know, the way I operate. But, yeah, it's a really fun group to be part of. You know, working with Chase and Kev Kicks, Lockie, we have a lot of laughs. Amongst the stress and the high pressure at times, we always find something kind of to laugh about. So it's a really fun place to be.
0: Um, I'm fascinated by what you were saying there about uh ensuring that people feel valued within the organization and there's a pre- an appreciation for what everybody brings and that that changes of course over over time from one one period of time to the next and you know you guys I wonder if you might be able to like give a bit of an example of of a time this season where you've had to um kind of be proactive in that regard you know I think of you know a guy for instance like Wani Swakala Bullock who has just multiplied what everybody else's perception of his importance to the group is through his play, but I imagine at the very start of the season he maybe didn't even couldn't even picture this kind of influence that he'd have on the team. And then it it ebbs and flows, you know. Angus Glover, you know, you, I hear Chase Buford come into the post game presses and and try to make sure the word gets out there of a level of appreciation for what Angus is bringing in his limited minutes off the bench. And then I also look at a guy like Dion Vasiljevic who has the potential to be like a top five scorer in this league, was blowing up at the offensive end last season. Right now, he's on a championship level team potentially. And at times, maybe he's getting less touches. Maybe he's getting less shots than he otherwise would get. Challenges in lots of different regards to make sure that people feel valued. Can you think of an example where you've kind of had to be proactive with somebody in that regard this season?
1: Well, you've touched on three great examples I think for us so I you're pulling on my heartstrings a little bit because Wani has been in my life since he was 14 so we have a relationship going back a long time I coached him in junior WA state teams and have been part of his life so for me I just feel so happy and proud of him because I've always sort of known what he can bring to the table and it's been able to be maximized because he's been given this opportunity here um so we had conversations at the start of the year when he was an injury replacement and the season kept getting pushed back and pushed back and you know unfortunately when you're an injury replacement you're relying on other people's misfortune for your opportunity so he yeah coming in and he was going to be the replacement for DJ. Um, You know, thankfully, DJ was ahead of schedule, working really hard. So, you know, I sort of was having conversations with Wani saying, look, it's going to be tough. There's going to be some moments here where you might not get now to play for this basketball team because DJ's on the, on the road back. And, you know, I said to him, but you've got to think bigger picture right now. And he came in from day one and everyone noticed his level of competitiveness at training and what he brought in his work ethic um, and just how valued he was amongst the group. And, you know, I I'd seen it, I'd been privileged to watch that over a long period of time. And I think people were sort of, blown away at how good a good a defender he was and how much he relished being able to compete you know early in preseason he was matching up with Zave any opportunity he could you know trying to pick wow. up getting into Zave and um, you know I know Zave was appreciating it as well like there's no tougher cover in the NBL than trying to guard Xavier Cooks mm. you know every day um so I think that really set a tone in where he wanted to go so regardless of whether he was going to get to play or not, Granted, we had some injuries and he got his opportunity and he's grabbed them with with both hands. But it was that sort of mindset to know that you're doing a really good job at practice every single day, going after your starters, setting the tone, and people are noticing that. So I think that's sort of the things where, you know, when you're not sure and you're on the fringe a little bit and where you want to go, being able to say to them, like, yeah, okay, like everyone wants to play, everyone wants minutes it might not happen so how do you maximize and how do you go and show this king's organization and these bunch of guys that you belong here and that you deserve to get a contract so Mm. yeah um, i mean i i'm so so happy for him um that because i think people haven't really understood his strengths and what he brings and i think he's been in a great situation and chase has empowered him and trusted him and i think he's only growing in confidence so really wrap for him in that respect
0: um, talking about appreciating what some, somebody's strengths and what they can bring um, the Kings did that with you in the offseason in identifying you in, in, in wa as somebody who could add to their organization you told uh, my, my colleague Tom Hirsch at NBL media in the preseason that um, about your excitement at at that time when from when Luke spoke to you initially you said you didn't get much sleep that night thinking about the possibility that this might might happen um and then it did and now you're having a big impact on the team midway through your first season in the NBL how are you finding the experience compared to what you were envisaging that night while you're lying asleep uh, awake in your bed
1: it's um it's to be honest it's been really an easy transition um obviously I'd had experience coaching men's teams before and high performance programs with you know older adolescents in in WA but making the jump to NBL the biggest challenge has been navigating COVID and never knowing what the schedule is and I mean that's probably the, the greatest challenge um but in terms of working with the guys I remember when I first got the job I hadn't even moved yet and Geordie Hunter sent me a text, you know, basically saying, we are so excited to work with you. Welcome. Like this is, you know, these are the group of humans that I get to work with every day. So I was always, I was so excited and midway through it's been It's been fantastic. Um, I, you know, watching people, even over the last week, watching Tommy represent New Zealand, you know, and Jalen represent the boomers. It's so nice to be invested with these guys as part of the Kings, but also other, other elements of their life. And, but overall the transition has actually been quite easy. You know, I can't really say that there's been too stressful moments apart from when, you know, we've had some key losses, but you know, life and perspective, I think coming from outside that NBL bubble, I like to think that I have a pretty good perspective on, on all things. and I'm able to take a step back and look at where we need to go and perhaps little things that we can do to get better. But yeah, overall, it's been such a positive experience.
0: Um, You bring some cool life experience to this role as well, you know, and I think coaches, I think from are always better. I think when they've had a little bit of life experience outside of the game in one shape or another, you know, I think think about Andre Lamanis and his, his life, brief life in, in accounting, I think kind of went on to kind of heavily influence his current life in, in coaching. Um, You know, I think of Adam Ford and his time in, in the prison system in WA and, and, and how that impacts on him as a coach right now, you, whilst you were work, you know, coaching through, Um, uh, in the SBL and uh, WNBL and with Basketball Western Australia, um, you're also rising through the ranks in the world of academia, if I'm not correct. Tell us a little bit about what you were doing there and, and how that maybe helps and informs what you're doing now.
1: So yeah, my previous life and for 15 years, I worked for the University of Notre Dame um, in Western Australia. I was the head of the exercise and sports science degree there and associate professor. Um, I have a PhD in healthy development and aging and um, lecturing in skill acquisition, a little bit of sports psych and sociology as well. So again, I've got quite a diverse teaching experience and, you know, dealing with so many students from such different backgrounds has been so helpful to me. And I think, Anytime you teach and you're trying to convey messages and get through to, um, you know, your current generation, how I reach them, how do I make a consistent message and how do I get them to engage with the content that I'm teaching? I think that's held me in pretty good stead in the transition, obviously, to coaching. They sort of go hand in hand. And I think over the years, it also really helped me in terms of my leadership and coaching. I think when I was younger, you sort of had this, I guess, idea that you know as the leader it's always you you're always the one directing everything and giving the instructions and people follow you and I've certainly learned over the years that it's a reciprocal learning experience and leadership is for everyone you don't have to be the loudest person in the room and it's about empowering everyone to have different elements of leadership because as a collective if you're going to go somewhere You need everyone along for the ride. So, you know, I think that's sort of part of my journey and working with people and learning off my students over so many years, such a range of academic staff has been really, really helpful to me as I've come into this role in the NBL.
0: I mentioned at the start, we're talking on the eve of International Women's Day. And I also mentioned that you're the fifth woman to coach in the NBL, which is, it's nowhere near as many as it should be at this point, over 40 years uh, into the existence of the league. But but Michelle Timms, Laurie Chiswick, who coached me at the Victoria Titans uh, 20 years ago, Tracy York, uh, who was with Adelaide and now with Bendigo in the WNBL and Chanel Pompellier, of course, with the New Zealand Breakers. What does it mean to you to, to be a part of this group that is pioneering something that, hopefully grows into bigger and and um, better things over the over the course of the future
1: it's incredibly special and it's funny you should mention laurie she was without knowing her she wrote me a message when i when i got the job announced which was so lovely of her and she was so supportive um of me getting this job and basically said reach out anytime you've got any questions or if you want to swap ideas so i feel really honored that i'm joining that list of names of of women that's you know, coaching in, in the NBL. And you're right. I think that there's definite room for growth there. And hopefully um, teams are recognizing that diversity isn't a bad thing. You know, I think with any individual, not, you know, regardless of gender, we've all got different experiences and stories that I think are value adding to organizations. So it's been, you know, I'm really on it. I don't, I don't think about it a lot to be honest, but then there's moments what well, you mentioned the Brisbane game when we, you know, we lost in the fourth quarter and we were walking out post game and there was a group of Sydney Kings supporters, probably eight or nine waiting around after the game. And, um, you know, we we're all probably a little bit devastated having lost that game. And um, the, the guys were thanking the supporters for at least attending the game and how much we appreciated their support. And Chase is always really gracious and in, in thanking them. And I sort of smiled and kept walking and there was a 16 year old, Girl, I, I, you know, I feel awful that I don't know her name. And she called out to me. She's like, "Oh, Fleur." And I said, "Yeah." And she said, "Oh, come, my mum and I get a photo with you. We love you." And I, I sort of said, "Really?" She's like, <laughs> "Oh my God." She's like, "We love watching you. It's so cool." And I, you know, it's sort of moments like that that you sort of think it, it is important, you know, and representation matters. And um, it's not something that I think about sort of daily. And but you know, it is important. I feel really, really proud that if that, you know young females out there or or adult women it doesn't matter that you know having the courage and confidence and belief and seizing those opportunities and hopefully more of those will open up for women in the nbl
0: that's that's really interesting you talk about um the representation matters you know and there's that cliched um phrase that if you you know if you see it you can be it um I wonder, you know, you had a quote in that, that conversation with Tom Hirsch where you said, I never really thought that I couldn't do it as in coaching the NBL. It was just something that I'd never really considered, which jumped out to me because, you know, you were, you're an a up-and-coming coach with massive potential in Western Australia and in, and in Australian basketball. So why? It, I was thinking, well, why would coaching in the NBL never have been a goal? for her. And I wonder if that's because yes, there'd been some, some, you know, women coaching in the league before you, but not many. And for a long time before Chanel and, and Tracy, Mm. no one, you know, there was a huge gap there from Michelle, Michelle Laurie. Then it was almost like 20 years before Tracy was on a, on an NBL bench. Was that why? Because you just hadn't seen it. And, and what, and, and is that now having an impact on you saying, whether I'm noticing it or not, people are seeing that now in me on this bench.
1: Definitely. And I've spoken about this previously when I've been interviewed in that. I think sometimes as females, we have this absolute sense of imposter syndrome and a lack of belief that we're capable of stepping into these roles. And I I mean, I'll I'll put my hand up. I've certainly had those moments, but then, you know, you get into these roles and you're like, oh no, I, I can do this. Like I'm, yeah, you know, like, Um, Luke tells me all the time built for this you know like it's and I think it's that ownership and a little bit of self-belief to know that you are capable but definitely seeing people in those roles and particularly you know there's women all across the country coaching in junior state programs domestic competitions um, NBL one like I've, I've you know I've got some really good friends that are head coaching across the country and I think there's that ongoing belief that's needed that people can step into these roles but also I think you're right I think it's the representation of knowing that okay there are females in these roles and hopefully more opportunities will present themselves and there's that confidence that you can go and step in if, if given the opportunity.
0: The the theme the hashtag for International Women's Day this year is hashtag break the bias what does what, what does that catchphrase mean to you?
1: So I think for me it means I guess, you know, minimising or changing our preconceived notions of, of stereotypes. Um, I'll laugh when I think about breaking the bias because I'm the only obviously female in our travelling party when we hit the road and the guys will laugh when I tell this story. The number one question I get asked on the road is if I'm the team physio or if I'm the team manager. That's really? the that's the that's really. the number one question so we always like I always have a laugh with the guys And no, no no I'm actually part of the coaching staff but that's probably um, the number one question that I get asked and when people find out they're like oh that's wonderful you know that's that's fantastic so I think when I think about breaking the bias it's probably eliminating um, those misconceptions about you know, gender roles and where we fit, particularly in Australian sport. I think, you know, for a long time, historically, Australian sport is embedded in male culture and and that's, mm. it's, a, it's a tough thing to overcome, you know, and certainly there's been huge changes in the growth of women's professionalism, uh, getting paid, equity, you know, resources and opportunity, but we're still a long way to go. So hopefully if we can start to bridge that gap a little bit and start to value, you know, across anything, not just gender, but diversity and inclusion. And I feel really fortunate that, I mean, I can't speak for the Kings guys, but I would think not a lot has changed for them, me coming into the program, regardless of, you know, being a female. So they've embraced me. I've embraced them. And yeah, I'm just really thankful that I get to be part of their group.
0: Um, what what you are doing this year and currently are doing as an assistant coach in the NBL, um, despite all that, it, it has been done. It had been done by those four before you. What hasn't been done is is a female as a head coach. In this league. Now it's year one for you in, in the NBL as a as a member of a coaching staff, but but long term, you know, is that is that is that something that you know we talked before about what you could or couldn't envisage yourself doing. Is that something that you've you've thought of as a potential goal down the track?
1: I hadn't originally, when I first had my interview with Chase, um, he asked me and I said to him, Are you gonna hold it against me if I say that I don't know at this stage? My initial short-term yeah. goal was to to come into this job and see if I could do this job and I wanted to do it really well, as tends to be my my habits. Um, but I have been I have look, I'd lie if I said that it hasn't crossed my mind only because again Luke pesters me every time I see him for my five-year plan and what I want to do and you know I'm really fortunate as well to have Adam Caporn as a good friend so he's someone that you know we swap ideas a lot and all the rest of it so it's nice that you've got these people in your corner Um, still a long long way to go I think to to consider that Um, but it's certainly something that's crossed my mind more so because people keep asking me if it's sort of entering (laughs) Um, but at this stage you know i'm contracted to the kings for next season as well and um really pleased just to work with chase learn from him kicks kev Lockie, and you know and the players you know i've got these awesome veterans in guys like ian clark that's come in sean bruce um you know looking at zave and he's just been incredible this year so for me i learn as much off them as you know as hopefully I give to them and you know we'll see what happens at the end of next season I think I've got a long way to go to apply my trade as an assistant and then beyond that we'll see.
0: it sounds like Chase just wanted to know whether you were going to be gunning for his job <laughs>
1: yeah, probably, <You> know? <laughs> probably. if I lose the first four <laughs> games here
0: what a, what's going to be going on behind me
1: absolutely no chance i tell him (laughs) constantly when he gets warned or if he gets tech do not get thrown out do not get thrown out so that's uh i uh i say to him that's a hard pass from kevin i'm more than happy just to sit here and you know have our little discussions but uh so no definitely not gunning for for that at all he can be absolutely rest assured it's the hot seated he's he's out on that sideline
0: (laughs) awesome hey this has been this has been great really appreciate you coming on for a chat, and I'm excited about what you and the Kings can do this year. I was one of the non-believers at the beginning of the season. Didn't have you? I just had you right on the bubble. I thought, man, this this club just has incredible bad luck with injuries. And then I thought, at the start of the year, it's actually all planned out exactly as I thought. But everyone's healthy now. You're absolutely rolling, and good luck with with keeping the good times rolling.
1: Thanks so much, Liam. I really appreciate it.